of worshiping him that he promises he'll meet with them. And you've experienced that this morning. How many of you understand today that God is much more than a feeling? Do you know that? Do you know that God is the sovereign king of the universe? Do you know he's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last? Do you know that he is our heavenly father, that he has our best interest at heart at all times? Do you know that God is real today? Do you know that? So he's much more than a feeling, but I am so thankful that he can be felt. I'm so thankful for his presence. I hunger for that. I desire that. It's like I can't go on without it. You know, it's so refreshing to be in the presence of God with the people of God. And I'm so glad you're here today. Take your Bibles. Look in Luke chapter number 16. That's what we want to look at this morning. Verse number 19. I want to share with you the story of a man who gained the world and lost his soul. Luke chapter 16. Starting in verse number 19, we'll read through the end of the chapter through verse number 31. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen, and he fared sumptuously every day. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom, and the rich man also died and was buried, and in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Father Abraham, or Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the, tinger, the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime received the, thou the good things, and likewise Lazarus the evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, and they also come, that they not, come not also into this place of torment. Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and they have the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and hear not the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Let's pray together. Father, we love you again, Lord. Thank you for blessing us this morning with your presence in this place. Lord, let us become more aware of your presence at all times. That's what we need. Holy Spirit, we need you to work on us, work in us, and work through us. Lord, I need you this morning to fill me up and pour me out. I need you to move me behind the cross and use me, for these people need not hear what I have to say. But Lord, they need to hear what thus says the Lord. Lord, I want you to speak through me today, straight to the hearts of men, women, boys, and girls. And Lord, start with my heart, and if there be anything in me that's unpleasing that might hinder you from doing your work, I pray that you remove it right now. I'm praying, Lord Jesus, that you would speak truth to the hearer today, convict hearts and change lives, do the work that only you are capable of. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, Jesus is the master teacher. He's a powerful preacher. If you believe it, say amen. Um, we see it all throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus, the master teacher, uses what is sometimes called parables. Now, a parable, by Dr. Warren Wiersbe's definition, is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's my favorite definition because that's exactly what a parable is. It's an earthly story that helps us to understand heavenly things. Now, what we find here in Matthew, or excuse me, in Luke chapter number 16, some have argued uh, about it either being a parable or an actual account of events that happened in two men's lives and in their death. I will say this, if... This is a parable. It's the only parable that Jesus gives a name to one of the characters. He gives a name to Lazarus the beggar. And by the, because of that, some people believe that it's actual, actually a historical event that Jesus gives us an account of. Now, whether it's a parable or whether it's not makes no difference, really, because all of it's truth. Jesus speaks this truth to us so that we might have a glimpse of the world that is to come. 
And that's very powerful. It's very important that we get a hold of this truth. It needs to be heard and it needs to be heeded. You say, Brother Joe, is Jesus a teacher or is Jesus a preacher? Well, I say yes to both. If you read his parables, he is the master teacher. If you read the Sermon on the Mount, he is the powerful preacher. <laughs> the greatest message that's ever been preached. See, he used his preaching to teach and he used his teaching to preach. I want to do the same thing. I think that's what we ought to do. That's what Jesus does. He speaks truth effectively by the power of God. Then uh, here in Luke chapter number 16, again, he gives us that glimpse into the world which we're headed to. Now, there's four things that I want to share with you this morning, four truths from Luke chapter number 16 about this man who gained the world and lost his soul. First of all, I want you to see his lostness. We're going to see that, number one. Number two, you need to see his living. Number three, I want you to see his location. And number four, I want you to see his lament. All of that is found right here in Luke chapter number 16. First of all, let's take a close look at his lostness. Now we know this man was lost, spiritually speaking, because he ended up in a place called hell. The Bible says it was in hell that he lifted up his eyes. Now there's a very sobering truth that I want to get across to each and every one of you today sitting in this sanctuary or listening to us online. Something that we all need to take to heart. Something that we all need to hear and heed. Something that we all need to apply unto ourselves. You need to understand and realize that everybody within the sound of my voice this morning, wherever you're hearing this message, is going to spend eternity in one of two places. All of us are eternal. See, the only thing that I, you really ought to be concerned about, the, the main priority in this life, is the souls of men. Because that's the only thing that lasts for an eternity. Now please don't, don't misunderstand me. Don't, uh, I want you to realize what I'm saying. I'm not telling you that this body is eternal because it's not. How I many you know we got graveyards for a reason? The Bible says that this body will one day, one day go back to the dust from whence it came. See, what you see before you today is not eternal. This bone and flesh and skin and blood and, and sinew that holds it all together. Folks, this one day will go back to the dust. It will one day go back to the grave. But that's not what I'm speaking of as being eternal. See, even though the body is not eternal, the Bible also teaches the soul is. Genesis chapter 2. And I think it's about the seventh verse. The Bible gives us an account of creation when God created man. And the Bible says that God formed man with the, from the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Now look at this next part. And man became a living soul. Now that soul that God has given to every man, woman, boy, and girl is that breath of life being spoken about in Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 7. And that breath of life, that soul that God gave, will live for an eternity. See, this body will one day go back to the grave, go to the dust from whence it came, but this soul is going on somewhere. See, your soul is really who you are. It makes you laugh and talk and think and, and be you. That's who you are, that soul that God's given you. And the Bible teaches one day it's going to live eternally somewhere. See, this body that you see before you and I see before me is just the earthly house of the soul. Now when the soul leaves the body, that's called physical death. This physical body goes back to the grave. If you believe it, say amen this morning. All right? So I want you to understand and know that all of us are going to spend an eternity somewhere. Now, you're going, either going to spend an eternity in God's heaven or in the devil's hell. Either you're going to spend an eternity in the presence of God or you're going to spend an eternity perishing, completely alienated from God and the things of God, the goodness of God. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what Jesus is teaching right here in Luke chapter number 16. Now, what determines where you spend eternity is the decision you make concerning the finished work of the Lord Jesus. That's why Jesus says, But God so loved the world that whosoever believe in Him shall, uh, shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever trusts in Him, believes in Him, shall not perish but have life eternal. 
So you need to understand, all of us are going to spend an eternity some way. For the child of God, death is nothing more than changing addresses. The Bible teaches that to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. The Bible teaches, the, uh, the Apostle Paul said, to live is for Christ. If I'm living in this earth, I'm going to live for Jesus. But if I die, it's gain for me. Praise God. Isn't it amazing? I've got the blessed hope of a home in heaven forever being in the presence of God himself. What a blessing that is. I'm so thankful this morning that I know in whom I've placed my trust. I know I've been born again. And I know if I leave this walk of life before this service ends, I know where I'm going. There's great peace in that. I've heard it said that a man is never really truly ready to live until he's ready to die, and I believe that. You'll never experience life until you have peace about death. And so, for the child of God to be absent from the bodies, to be present with Jesus, my last breath on this earth is going to be followed by my first breath in heaven. One of these days you're going to hear that Israel Price has died, but don't you believe it? Because at that moment I'm going to be more alive than I've ever been before. In that moment, I will be in the presence of God and will be there for all eternity. Now then, listen. That's for those who've trusted in Christ. That's for those who've placed their faith in the Lord. But the Bible also teaches that those who choose to reject Christ will spend eternity in a place called hell, in torment. Jesus said in the flame. Now, to understand really what this lostness means and where this rich, uh, this, this uh, ruler, this rich man got to, you've really got to see some other areas in the Word of God where Jesus talked about the rich man. Now, even though this is not the same person, I believe this. Jesus spoke many times about rich men throughout the Scriptures. He did right here in Luke chapter number 16, but there's another account in Luke chapter number 18. In Luke chapter number 18, Jesus gives the account of the rich young ruler. Now, even though there may not be the same person, I do believe that we can put them both side by side and see that both of them trusted in who they were, what they could do. Both of them trusted in their riches. Both of them had a God and it was called greed. And so by looking at the lostness of the man in Luke chapter 18, you can certainly see the lostness of the man in Luke chapter 16. So let's flip over just a moment to Luke chapter 18 and see what Jesus says concerning the rich young ruler. Everybody look there, Luke 18 and verse number 18. And a certain ruler asked him saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Good question, isn't it? I mean, that's a really good question. He comes to him and says, I want to know how I can know I've got life eternal because he understood the teaching I've just been talking to you about that we all are going to spend an eternity in one of two places. So Jesus makes it plain to him. Look at verse 19. And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good save one that is God. Now I want you to get what Jesus is doing here. The Bible says in John chapter number 2 that Jesus knows the heart of every man. If you believe it, say amen. That means Jesus knows my heart better than I know my heart. <laughs> he knows what I think, what I feel, why I do what I do, my motivation for everything. Jesus knows everything about me, whether it be done in the dark or in the light. Jesus knows everything about you, whether it be done in the dark or in the light. Jesus knows what you do on Sunday. He knows what you do on Saturday. Jesus knows what you do at your place. He knows what you do in this place. He knows what you do at your workplace. He knows what you do at the schoolhouse. He knows what you do at the grocery store. He knows everything about you, and he knows everything about me. And him knowing the heart of man gives this rich young ruler in Luke 18 exactly what he needs. He's trying to get this young man to understand who he really is, who he himself, who Jesus really is. And so he says, why call me good? There is none good but God. Now, how many of you believe this morning that Jesus was incarnate? He was God incarnate in the flesh. He's the Son of God and God the Son. We spent a whole month talking about that throughout the month of December, praise the Lord. God became flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus came to do for us what we couldn't do. 
Son of God, God the Son. So we believe that. We know that to be true. Now, is Jesus going against that truth here in Luke 18, 19? No. What he's doing, he's trying to get this young man to understand, yeah, I'm good, but you need to understand I'm good because I'm God. Only God is good. All right, let's go on. Watch what else happens. Verse 20. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. Again, knowing his heart, he gives him what this young man needs. And he says to him, if you want to inherit eternal life, knowing what he was thinking, he knew this young man was all about what he could do, putting trust in what he was doing or what he had done. And he said, if you want to do it your way, this is how you got to do it. You've got to not commit adultery, don't kill, don't steal, do not bear false witness. You've got to honor your father and your mother. You've got to do all of this stuff. Now listen to me. Does that mean? That salvation comes by works. Understand what's happening. Understand what Jesus is doing. You remember the question that was asked in Luke 18, Luke 18, 18 is, Good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You said, okay, if you want to do it that way, if you want to know what you can do, this is what you've got to do. You've got to not commit adultery, don't kill, don't steal. Keep the law is what he's saying. Now then, listen to me. It's very important that we understand, in theory, we can get to heaven if we keep all the law. Let me tell you why. The law is perfect. The law is holy. The law is just. The law is righteous in every way. So if you do all the right things all the time, all your life, then guess what? That's what you've got to do to have eternal life. Now there's only one problem with that. It's a very big problem. How many can keep the law perfectly? Let me ask you something, husbands. Have we got any perfect wives? Wives, do we have any perfect husbands? Parents, do we have any perfect children? I knew I was going to get an amen from somebody on that one. Children, do we have any perfect parents? Church, do we got any perfect pastors? If you're a pastor listening to me this morning, do, do we have any perfect churches? Is there anybody perfect? Is there anybody who keeps the whole law all the time? For their whole life. <laughs> is there? See, that's the point Jesus is making to this young man. And look what happens. Well, he still don't get it, though. Jesus makes it very plain to him, though, just like he's going to make it plain to all of us. He says, verse 21, and he said, All these have I kept from my youth up. Do y'all believe that? Now, let me tell you what I think is happening. I think this, this young man is being dishonest with the Lord and dishonest with himself. I think this young man is gauging his success in doing good works by looking at the standard of everybody else. I think he's looking around and saying, you know what, I'm a pretty good dude. I've kept most of this all the time for all my life. And he says, I've kept all of it. And Jesus just kind of gives him the benefit of the doubt. Okay, bud, if that's what you think, then we'll go with that. So watch, watch what Jesus tells him. Now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, yet lackest thou one thing, sell all that you got. Distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Do you see it? Now watch. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. Jesus brings him right to the place where he realizes really where he's at spiritually. See, this young man thought he had it all figured out. He thought he had done all the right things, everything he needed to do to get to heaven if he was going to do it himself. Amen? And then Jesus makes it very plain. He says, then you've got to sell all you got. Give it to the poor and follow me. 
This young man forgot about Exodus 18, 3. Excuse me, Exodus 20 and 3. Exodus 20 and 3 says that the, the, in, in the Ten Commandments, the, the same ones, some of the ones that Jesus gave right here, it says that we are to love the Lord thy God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and him only shall we serve. Amen? Thou shalt have no other gods beside the one true God. Well, what did Jesus show this young man? He just showed him that he's God was greed. He just showed him really what he was trusting in, his goodness. He just showed him, and, and he wasn't that good. That's the problem. He, he, he had not, his, his God wasn't the one true God. His God was his stuff, his possessions, his money, his success. Are you seeing the problem? Matthew 5, 48, Jesus was speaking there and he says that if you're going to be, get to the kingdom of heaven, you've got to be perfect. Speaking to scribes and Pharisees and the religious crowd. What is he saying? If you're going to do it your way, if you're going to get yourself to heaven, you've got to be perfect in keeping all the law all the time. Do you see the problem that creates? Do you see this young man's lostness? Do you see how apart from Christ we all fall short? See, when we're talking about true salvation, when we're talking about truly trusting in Jesus and being born again in the family of God, we're not talking about what you can do. When we're talking about true salvation, we're talking about what's already been done. How many of you understand Jesus came and he was the only one who was born perfect? And because he was born perfect, free of sin, free of the seed of man, but born by God himself, listen, he was able to live perfect. And because he lived perfect, he fulfilled all the law. He kept it all for 33 and a half years. And the Bible says he went to a cross and he took the punishment, becoming the love of God that takes away the sin of the world. He took the punishment for my sin and for your sin. See, true salvation is not about what you do. True salvation is about what's already been done. Now, when you have true salvation, it'll certainly change what you do. Can you say amen? It'll change how you live. It'll change how you think, how you love. Amen. But you need to understand, we don't spell salvation do. We spell salvation done. Brother, you like to swim. I love to swim. I'm not a really good swimmer, but I love to swim. I bet you can outswim me. I sink like a rock, I'm telling you. I, I can't stay afloat. You can probably outswim me. Well, let's just say me and Harold decided we was going to swim to Hawaii. You like Hawaii? No, I would like to go too. Let's swim. All right, we're going to swim from Los Angeles, California. We're going to head out to Hawaii. All right? That's a good goal, isn't it? I mean, that's a great place. I'd love to go to Hawaii. That's paradise on earth. So let's go to Hawaii. We're going to swim there, though. We're going to do it. So guess what? Me and, me and Brother Harold, we get out to Los Angeles, California. We jump in the water, and we start swimming just as hard as we can swim. Now, I'm, I'm, let's just say I make it, I don't know, uh, 300 yards. All right? I make it 300 yards swimming as hard as I can go. That's all I can do, and I drown in the water. Let's just say Brother Harold is a pretty good swimmer and he swims 900 yards. He swims three times further than I did. But after he swam those 900 yards, that's all he could do. And he finally tuckered out and he drowned in the water. Did either one of us make it to paradise in our own power? He may have swam further than I did. He may have done more work. But he still didn't make it. See, folks, we don't gauge who we are and our righteousness according to someone else's standard. He may swim further than I did. He may do better than I did. They may live better than I do. I may live better than they do, but it's not according to my standard of righteousness. Listen, we're judged by God's standard, and God's standard is perfection. None of us can meet that standard. Amen? 
I can't, you can't. That's why we need a Savior. That's why Jesus came to extend to us grace, mercy, and forgiveness. That's why Jesus came to pay our sin debt, being the perfect, holy, righteous Son of God and God the Son. If you got it, say, I got it. This young man's lostness, you got to see that. Because he didn't see it until Jesus made it plain to him. He thought he was a pretty good guy, and Jesus showed him he had broken the law. And if you break the law, that makes you a lawbreaker, deserving of condemnation. And all of us have broken God's law. Every one of us. We need mercy. We need mercy. I heard a story one time about mercy. There's a little boy who was a very good student in Sunday school. And he was waiting on his mama to get ready for church. He's sitting there looking at his mama, and she's putting on all of her makeup. She looked in the mirror, and she said, Son, this makeup just ain't doing me any justice. He said, Mama, you don't need justice. You need mercy. The truth is, all of us are like this rich young man. We don't need justice. We may have done pretty good by our own standard or someone else's standard, but that don't really matter. We may think we're okay in our own power, doing what we do, but we don't need justice, for if we get justice, we get condemned to a devil's hell. We're lawbreakers, we're sinners, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. Nobody meets the standard of perfection except Jesus. Amen? We don't need justice. We need mercy. See this young man's lostness. But I also want you to see his living. The Bible says that he fared sumptuously in Luke chapter number 16. He fared sumptuously in every way. He had everything his heart desired. He had all the finest food. And, and listen, he lived in the finest home. And, and he had everything he could ever want. He, he, he had it all. Look at verse 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen. He had the best clothes. And fared sumptuously every day. He had the best food. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores. And desiring to be filled with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and his sores. Now there's two things that I want you to see about this man's living and the living of Lazarus. I want you to see first of all that wealth is neutral. Don't misunderstand what the Lord is saying here. To really get what Jesus said, you got to know a little, about, a little bit about the culture that he lived in. In that culture in that day, in, in, that, uh, in, the, in the Jewish nation, they were taught by the scribe and the Pharisee, those higher up in the, in the uh, um, political and, and religious hierarchy, they were taught that if someone was rich, that they had the favor of God, that they were, they, they were the ones who were doing good. They were the ones that God was pleased with if they had a lot of money, if they had good clothes, if they had a good home. They thought the rich people were the ones that had God's favor. And so Jesus is making it clear to them through this story of the rich man and Lazarus, that wealth means nothing when it comes to where you are spiritually with the Lord. See, if you've got a lot of money, that don't mean that you're going to heaven and going to be with God for eternity. And if you're poor as a rat snake, that don't mean that you're going to hell or going to heaven or vice versa. Wealth is neutral. Amen? See, what we got to start understanding in the kingdom of God and as the people of God, wealth, money, it's a very useful tool. It's just a terrible God. See, there's nothing wrong with you having stuff and having nice stuff. I want you to have nice stuff. I believe you can have nice stuff. Praise God, we live in the greatest country in the history of the world. Opportunity is just hanging out there for us to go get. Do what you want to do. Be all you can be. Hey, go out there and get it. It's ripe for the taking. Don't miss out on it. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with being successful. Nothing wrong with having stuff. The problem is when your stuff has you. That was the problem with the guy in Luke, 6, or Luke 18. His stuff had him. That was the problem with this man. He had no concern for others. He had no concern for serving God. He was concerned with what he had. And that's it. Or what he could get. Amen. 
Matter of fact, I see throughout the word of God where very wealthy people were used greatly of the Lord. You remember Joseph of Arimathea, don't you? Very wealthy man whom God used to allow Jesus to borrow his tomb. Somebody say amen right there. How many know my Savior went to a borrowed tomb? He borrowed it because he only needed it three days. He overcame death, hell, and the grave for me and for you. But Joseph of Arimathea, this very wealthy man, businessman in Jerusalem, gave the Lord his tomb. You remember Lydia in Acts chapter 16? There at that church plant in Philippi? The Bible says that she was a seller of purple. She was a businesswoman and had a very successful business selling fine linens and garments. And the Lord used her to plant a church and used her to care for Paul and Silas when they came through preaching the gospel. So wealth can be a great tool. You ought to be a conduit through which the blessing of God flows. It can be a great tool. It's just a terrible God. This man had a fine living. But he didn't use it for God's glory. It was all about his glory. Then you look at Lazarus who had nothing. But the Bible says Lazarus went to the bosom of Abraham. Well, who's Abraham? Y'all remember the song, Father Abraham had many sons. And many sons had Father Abraham. What? I'm one of them. And so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. We do right arm. We do left arm. We do right leg. We do left leg. We turn around. The children of Abraham, Abraham being the father of the faith, are the ones who had placed their faith in what God had said. I see I've had people ask me this all the time. Brothers, how did people in the Old Testament get to heaven before Jesus came? Well, they actually went to the bosom of Abraham, paradise, which is not technically heaven, but it is the presence of God. Can you say amen? But those people went to paradise. That's a different message for a different day, and I'll preach that one day. But they went to paradise looking forward in faith. Looking forward to the Messiah that God had promised that would take away the sin of the world. Looking forward to Jesus. They went to heaven by faith. Just like us looking back by faith at the finished work of Jesus get to heaven. See, nobody gets into the presence of God except by faith. Amen? Except by faith. See, we want to look at the rich young ruler that we read about just a minute ago. We want to look down on him for the things he was trusting in. He was trusting in his riches and he was trusting in his goodness. But don't people do the same thing today? You know, there's going to be a whole lot of good Baptists that's going to bust hell wide open. You hear me? A whole lot of good Methodists. A whole lot of good non-denominational people, Catholic people, um, Pentecostal people. There's going to be a whole lot of good people that sit on a church pew every Sunday, maybe even preaching in pulpits every Sunday that's going to bust hell wide open. Because there's a lot of people sitting on church pews every week that think it's all about what you do. And so they keep trying to do all the right stuff and the man gets burdensome and laborious and dead and dull it's not that they're wanting to serve the Lord because of a relationship they feel like they have to serve the Lord because of religion and they're trying to keep up checking off all the marks as they go I've done this, I've done this, I've done this I've not done this, I've not done that, I've not done that and folks the truth is the truth is I wouldn't stand before the Lord in my own power and my own righteousness if I could put up my best 15 minutes that I've ever lived. Because it's not enough. I need grace. I need mercy, God. I need a Savior. So do you. I'm going to tell you something. He'll change your living. Amen. Amen changes everything and then serving the Lord is not laborious and dull and burdensome it's a joy it's an amazing thing when you trust in the Lord notice his lostness notice his living also notice his location the Bible says he lifted up his eyes verse 23 in hell now I hear people talk about all the time these liberal theologians who always say well I don't believe in a literal hell well you better because Jesus believed in one Matter of fact, Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. If you don't believe me, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
Right there in Luke 16, he gives you a clear picture of what hell looks like. It says, In hell he lift up his eyes, being in torment, and sent Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. If you read on down, you're going to find that the rich man begged that Lazarus would come and dip his finger in water and drip it upon his tongue because he was tormented in the flame. That sounds like a literal hell to me. Mark 9.38, 9.48, excuse me. The Bible says that hell is not a place created for us. It's created for the devil and his angels, his demons. It's the place where the flame is never quenched and the worm dies not. That sounds like a literal hell to me. Hell is a reality, folks. Not because I said it, because Jesus said it. Because the Word of God teaches it. It's also a possibility for everyone who's not trusted in the Lord. Look at Romans 6, 23. Watch this. For the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin. Everybody knows what a wage is, don't you? It's what you work for. If you work for sin, for that which pleases that sinful nature that we all have, if you work for that your whole life and never get that sin problem taken care of, that sin problem that separates you from God, if you never have your sin forgiven by God's grace through faith in Jesus, the Bible says you will die, not only physically but spiritually. See, physical death we've already talked about. It's the separation of the soul from the body. Spiritual death, the second death, is when... Your soul is separated from God's presence forever. That's perishing. That's what the word actually means. It's a possibility for us all for the wages of sin is death. But, 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 but. Dr. Fred Luter says when you see that but, you can erase everything said previously. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift. Everybody say gift. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, hell, spiritual death, spiritual separation from God for an eternity, that was a possibility for me too while I was in my sin. While I was lost and undone. But guess what? I received God's gift. Now let me ask you something, brothers and sisters. Do you ever work for a gift? Do you? If you work for a gift, then it's no longer a gift. Here a few days ago, I sat around in my living room and had the time of my life watching my babies open up Christmas presents. Seeing that light, their faces just light up when they got something they'd really been wanting. Y'all, y'all ain't, that, ain't that cool? Praise God, isn't it good? I sat at home last night, man, sitting in my living room watching TV. I just got to look around and everything God had given me. Man, a wife who loves Jesus and loves me, and I got some kids there. I'm talking about beautiful children, healthy. Praise God, I was not in children's hospital this morning when I woke up. A lot were. And I looked around at my house, and it's not much, but it's mine. I just said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. How good you are. Do you ever do that? Y'all do. So I'm sitting around that Christmas tree, Christmas morning. I'm watching them babies open them gifts. And I thought, they didn't deserve any of that. They didn't. You always hear the thing, well, if you're good, you're going to get something good for Christmas. That ain't how it works. Them suckers ain't been good. They fight and argue, selfish, won't listen to daddy when I tell them to do something, try to get out of it. I tell my kids all the time, if y'all just do what I ask, y'all do a whole lot more work trying to get out of something than just doing it. I tell them that all the time. So they didn't deserve any of that if it just went by their works. You know why they got it? Because daddy loved them. That's why. And I want to give them a gift. Not because they deserved it. 
You know why we've been given the gift of salvation? Not because we deserve it. If we get what we deserve as lawbreakers and sinners, we get a devil's hell. You know why God gave you salvation? Because as a heavenly father, he loved you. For God so loved the world that he gave. Amen. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Listen, hell is a reality. It's a possibility, but it's not an actuality. It, don't, it, don't, it doesn't have to be. You can miss hell and gain heaven. Let me tell you how. John 3, 36. Watch this. Listen. So powerful. So good. So good. John chapter 3, verse number 36. For he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth in him. Now when it says believe there, it's not just having a head knowledge of that there was a Jesus. It's you placing your trust in the fact that you needed a Savior. Placing your trust in the fact, listen, that Jesus took your sin at the cross. It's you placing your trust in the fact that Jesus not only died for your sin, but he overcame the grave. It's trusting in him. Just like I trust in this chair. Amen? <laughs> uh, guess what I just did? I put faith in this chair that it was going to hold me up when I cast myself upon it. Well, that's the same thing you do when you get saved, you cast yourself upon Jesus. You say, Lord, I'm hopeless and I'm helpless. And I realize I'm a lawbreaker, I'm a sinner. But I'm glad you've given me the gift. And I cast myself on you. Amen. I'm telling you something, I would not take the, first, the best 15 minutes I've ever lived and stand before God with it in my righteousness. But I'll tell you what I will do. I'll trust in Jesus and his finished work. And one day, I'm going to stand before my heavenly father in the righteousness of Christ. Let me tell you why. Because by grace, through faith, I've been saved. It was not of works, lest any man should boast. It is because of God's gift. See the man's lostness. His living, oh, you need to see his location. But also notice his lament. To lament means to cry out. And in Luke chapter 16, the Bible says that's exactly what happens. Luke 16, and verse number 24, And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I'm tormented in this flame. In hell, the time of mercy is gone. You need to know that. God sent me here this morning to tell you that. In hell, the time for mercy is gone. Today is a day of mercy. Today is a day of salvation. Can't wait. Can't wait. Look, look what else. And besides all this, between you and you, us and you, there's a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us which would come from thence. So you're, you're separated from God and his goodness, from his presence. I've told you many times before, the greatest thing about heaven is going to be, in, is that we're going to forever be in the presence of God, unhindered by this flesh or this world or the devil. And that is the greatest thing about heaven. Let me tell you the worst thing about hell. You'll be forever separated, eternally separated. From God's goodness, His glory, His righteousness. That's hell. What's going on? Then He said, And I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, where I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, that they also may not come to this place of torment. Now, here you have a man who rode by Lazarus every day that was laying at his gate full of sores and never helped him, would only give him scraps from the table. He cared nothing for Lazarus in his life. But now in his death, he begins to see, I don't want other people coming to where I am. He came to terms with eternity, with himself. Now listen. Listen to me. You need to understand this. I want you to know today, God is gracious.
I want you to know today, God truly loves you. Stop trusting in anything you do or have done or you not done for your salvation. Cast yourself upon Jesus today. Trust Him. Amen. A few years ago, I was at my workplace, and it's amazing to me how God opens doors from time to time and just puts you. Y'all, don't y'all love that? So, it's so exciting following the Lord. It really is. I mean, God will just out of nowhere do something that you know this had to be a God thing right now in my life. Isn't that awesome? That the God of heaven is at work in my life allowing me to be a part of what he's doing? And that's true for every believer. And so I'm at work, man, and God just opens this door, puts me and this guy together one day, and we began talking about someone who had just passed in the community, very prominent member of the community, and I was asking him if he was going to go to the, to the funeral home, and he said, no, I don't do funeral homes. I, just, I can't go there. I don't even like to think about it. And I said, well, the truth is, man, you know, we're all going to cross that bridge one day. All of us are. You need to be ready, and from that, he began asking questions, and I was doing my best to answer the questions that he asked. And, and I started sharing the gospel message with him, how we get ready, how we know that we have eternal life, because you need to know. And I got to the point where I was telling him, look, man, we're all lost, and we're all sinners, and we all need Jesus. And he told me, he said, well, I'll tell you what, my mama was a great woman of God. Boy, she loved the Lord. She prayed for me every day. And she read her Bible seven times, seven times all the way through while she was alive. I said, man, that's fantastic. I'm glad you had a good mama. Your mama loved you. Your mama prayed for you. I bet your mama wanted you to get saved. And I kept telling him about how much Jesus has done for me and how he changed my life. And he said again, he said, I tell you, man, my mama was a great woman of God. And she loved the Lord. She prayed for me. And she read her Bible through seven times. Said it to me again. And I began to realize what was going on there. That man was trusting in the godliness and goodness of his mama to get him to heaven. Now, folks, let me tell you something. If you've got a godly mama or a grandma or an aunt or an uncle or somebody that you looked up to, praise God. It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. But you need to understand, God has no spiritual grandchildren. Listen, you need to get this. You need to understand that who you're born to physically has nothing to do with your spiritual rebirth. The Jews had that problem. They would come to the Lord and they'd say, we're God's chosen people. We're the children of Abraham. You know what Jesus said in John chapter 8? He said, God is able of these rocks right here on the ground to rise up children of Abraham. What he's telling me is that don't mean anything spiritually speaking. I just want you to know don't trust in anything but Jesus cast yourself upon him he's good receive this free gift by faith and be born again Jesus made it plain he said what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul here you have the story of a man who gained it all and had nothing. What really matters, what really is going to make all the difference in a hundred years is not how much money you made or you didn't make. It's not about the fine house or the poor house you lived in. It's not about any of that. In a hundred years, all that's going to make any difference is the decision you've made concerning Jesus. That's it. Have you trusted in him? Have you trusted in him? I can't think of a better way to start 2021 than to trust in the Lord and be born again. Some of you here this morning, you know you've never made that decision. You know it. You know you need to because God the Holy Spirit's convicting your heart. Even right now, he's tugging at your heart.
You know you need to make that decision today to trust in Christ. Well, today's the day of salvation. Hey, let me share with you what that means. I can't save you. Walking an aisle don't save you. Being in this church don't save you. But oh, praise God. Let me introduce you to the one who can make a difference in your life. You come in this invitation time. Don't wait. You come. Maybe you're here this morning and you have been born again. But you've got people that you're praying for. You've got lost loved ones. You know, this rich man, he begged for someone to go tell his people, don't come here. But when I read that, that hit me like a ton of bricks. I've got people in my family that I know need Jesus. I can't wait until I'm in heaven to tell them about Christ. I got to tell them now. We got to tell them now. We got to go get them now. Don't miss out on your opportunity. But it starts with prayer. I'm going to ask you right now. I want to ask you just to, let, let me give you a story just real quick. Anna Grace is sitting right back there and, I don't mean to call you out, sweetie, or put you on a, I'm not trying to embarrass you in any way. I just remember when she got saved. Bless my soul, man. Um, she, was, she was at uh, Ridgecrest. And um, Scotty, he called me that week, and he said, you know, Anna Grace is going to Ridgecrest this week, and I'm just praying that God does a work in our life. Will you pray with me? I said, brother, I'm going to pray every day for her. I mean, you're going to pray every day. We're going to pray every day that God touches her heart. Man, he came back to me that Wednesday night. He said, brother, you ain't going to believe it. She got saved. She called me and said she got saved. But I thought, wow, we asked and God answered. Start asking. Start asking. God, we need you. God, touch their heart. Lord, if you don't do it, it's not going to get done. Oh, God, make them, make them know. Let them realize. It's lost. Start praying. We're about to enter into 21 days of prayer and fasting. I'm going to talk to you about it next Sunday as a church body. We're going to ask that God does the work that only God can do. We face some prayer about this thing, man, because the Bible says we have not, if we have not because we ask not. Let's start asking. Let's start petitioning the Lord. Let's start seeking Him. We're going to do this in the next 21 days. We'll talk about it next week, but I'm just saying, start today. Start praying for those lost loved ones. You're going to come this altar and just pray for, the, pray for them. Pray where you're at. Whatever, whatever, however God's leading you, do it. Maybe you've prayed about it and you said, you know what? God's put me here. I know this is where God wants me to serve and worship. Maybe you want to join this church. What I'm telling you is, if you're not saved, come let us help you. And I want to share with you the word of God about what it means to trust in Jesus. But if you are saved, won't you come help us? Won't you come help us? I said, let's, get, let's get in this and get, get with it, man. There's a message to preach. People to love. A world to change, can you say amen? By the power of God. So come help us. Whatever decision you mean to make today, won't you make it? Well, God's here this morning, I'm telling you. There's a sweet, sweet presence in this place. Oh, listen. Don't leave here not doing what you know you need to. Everybody stand together.